From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. After National Signing Day, talking through some recruiting and transfer stuff, I've uh, taken a little time off from uh, things after the close of the regular season and after actually getting my uh, my book finally turned in. The second book uh, to, is to the publisher and ready to head through some copy editing. So I've had some post uh finishing stuff to finish. <laughs> and now I can uh, get to some of this material and uh, catch up a little bit on some of these things. It's been a lot of activity from Florida State in the transfer portal. Uh, I've landed some really, really good players, some some players that I think FSU sh- fans should be very excited about, uh, starting with Jaheim Bell, the uh, do-everything Swiss Army knife, tight end, H-back, explosive offensive weapon that they added at that uh, tight end spot, along with Kyle Morlock, Jeremiah Byers at uh, on the offensive line, Keandre Jones, Casey Roddick also on the offensive line, and then Daryl Jackson, the uh, the tackle from defensive tackle from Miami. A lot going on with with those additions, and then of course the signing day class. So a lot to talk about. Uh, Another thing actually to to really to really work through and and actually what I'm planning on doing here I'm going to do instead of jamming everything into one episode uh, I'm going to I'm going to release three sort of rapid fire episodes back to back to back here uh, as I work through different things so this episode what I'm going to do I'm going to talk through what I see as some of the changes in the landscape for Florida State moving forward uh, and really we are I think this this recruiting cycle demonstrates as much as any uh or perhaps more than any so far how how different the landscape is given the transfer portal and other changes the the name image and likeness transfer portal everything else this this cycle really demonstrated i think how different things are than they've ever been in college football uh we saw that last year with some of the impact of name, image, and likeness and some of those other things. And of course, Florida State was a bit of a punchline. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, uh, given the, the the Travis Hunter situation and all of that. But I think this this class was even more a, wow, things are really different kind of class. And so I, I wanted to actually talk a little bit through that before I even got into evaluating the players that Florida State has brought in. Because I think it's evident how different the how different everything is, and this requires that all of us take a bit of a different look at things and evaluate differently in terms of how a signing day class looks and and, and all of these things. Everything's going to have to change because the the game has changed. It just has. And the way that the roster works has changed. Uh, So, you know, it used to be, and really you had about a 20-year period there where everything, you had all of the scouting services online. Essentially, the, the, the recruiting service era, the uh, rivals scout.com now defunct rolled into 24, seven, 24, seven, these various services, the era of all of that coverage for 
high school players. And through most of that, through pretty much all of that era, National Signing Day was was basically a holiday, was a national holiday for college football fans. Because you got a chance on National Signing Day, how your team did on National Signing Day was basically a determined that determined how you're going to do for the next couple of years. It was pretty simple. So, yeah, I mean, I think that era is at least in some measure over. It's we're in a we're in a completely new era than what we've been. And you basically in in the old era, you could look at essentially the National Signing Day Hall and you could total up your blue chip ratio hat tip to Bud Elliott there for uh, for what I think is a, a pretty simple way of explaining overall talent level on a roster. But you could tally up the, the blue chip ratio. You could look at, you know, recruiting rankings and say, OK, well, these teams will be the you know, these they're these top 15 classes. 10 of these top 15 classes or nine of these top 15 classes are going to be in the top 10, the next 10, the next four years. That's just the way it's going to be. And so basically acquisition of high school talent was the be all end all. It was the lifeblood of all college, college teams. And to some degree that, that isn't entirely gone now, but it's, it's a little different because the transfer portal and the, name image and likeness aspect of things has has shifted has has changed how all this is going to get calculated and so if you think about how things are done now in terms of how classes are calculated and how roster talent is considered i think we're going to have the next few years are really interesting because we're going to have to sort of reevaluate all these models you're going to have to evaluate like okay this team finished number one in recruiting. They brought in, look at Texas A&M, and we'll revisit them in a, in a few minutes as well. Look at Texas A&M. They bring in the, the, the best high school recruiting class of all time. And then a year later, eight of those guys are already gone. I mean, not even a year later. So what do you do with that? <laughs> how, do you, how do you then grade that in terms of like, What's the value of having that number one class when before those guys even make a contribution, they're gone. So, and then you look at Florida state last year, recruiting class was what 17th or 15th or whatever it was. I don't remember. And then they brought in some instant impact transfers and those transfers had a bigger impact on the program than any freshman they could have signed last year would have. So how do you grade for that? How do you account for that? How do you think through what that means in terms of how you grade who teams are bringing in, who's leaving all of that? I think this is, this era is going to require a, a, a total rethink of class rankings because you're going to have to account for transfers now. And just overall roster management and, and all of that. And this is where I think another development that's happened since I last recorded is, is of course, uh, the launch of a, of a new uh, collective, I guess they're called, um, Battle's End, Florida State, uh, with, with a new collective for name, image, image and likeness, signing, signing players. Battle's End, uh, led, of course, by Ingram Smith and then with some... Uh, 
very, very, very well-funded money behind it. And, you know, I got to give Ingram and, and, and that the, those folks behind it. And there's not a whole lot of them, by the way. Uh, I know where the money is coming from and, and I know what's going on there. And they're, they're doing a great job. And, and I have to give them a lot of credit for just not being attention grabbing, for not grabbing attention and, and jumping on social media and being all about themselves. They're really about Florida State doing well. And they're about making sure that these guys get what they deserve too, and yeah, give them give them a lot of credit for that. So I, I think I think that's well deserved, and and the approach that they're taking there is commendable. Uh, but I think the other thing that's that's really smart there is in this current name, image, and likeness and transfer portal era. I think the the collectives, the programs, the individuals who are focusing on talent acquisition of 18-year-old high school talent as their primary focus, I think ultimately that's going to wind up backfiring in many cases. I think that's the wrong approach. You're, you're, you're basically, what's happening is you're seeing and, and, you know, John Ruiz and, and Miami are a good, a good example of this. There's, there's a number of others. But essentially what they're doing is they're taking a 20th century approach. They're taking a 20th century model and they're trying to apply 21st century new model name, image, and likeness type funding to get the players on campus. So let's load up with the best players we can from high school and pay them up front to get on campus. That look, hey, that's I have no objection to you to you doing this. I just wonder what the ROI is going to be. Because let's let's ask the Texas A&M folks who put, you know, put things forward for that class last year in the name, image and likeness front. Let's ask them what they think their ROI was this year. I don't think it was very high. And the reason for that goes back to the mantra that I've had. And those of you who've listened to this podcast for what, 10 years now have heard this mantra for years. And that is this year's recruiting class is not about this year. It's not about the next season. It's about two, three and four years from now, not next year. This recruiting class is not for this year. It's for three years out. You've heard me say this, I don't know how many times, because it takes almost every high school player, even five stars, a year or two to adjust to play at that higher level. Now, five stars usually by year two are pushing on the dominant edge, like the legit true, true guys, which is why last year before the season, I was saying, yeah, Texas A&M, a lot of people have them in the top 10. I'm, I don't see it. I think they could contend for a national title in 2023, but I don't see it for 2022 because they're just a bunch of young freshmen and that's a super young roster. That's why. And here's the thing. People pay for this major talent to get on campus, but they're expecting instant results with guys that are not going to bring instant results because they're freshmen. And then if it doesn't happen and if those freshmen aren't happy and if they're not playing the way that they want to or as much as they want to or something isn't quite right, well, maybe they hit the portal. And now you just paid a lot of money 
for a guy to come on campus for a year and do nothing for you. So this is where battles end. The approach that they're taking actually makes a lot of sense to me because if you're going to maximize bang for buck in your program, what you really want to do is take the NFL route. The NFL figured that it took a long time for the NFL to figure this out, that you don't want to pay the rookies these huge salaries when it's really the veterans that do all the work for you. First of all, that builds bitterness on your pro in your, in your, in your program, in your, in your organization. And it also just, it's a mismatch in terms of how this goes. So, you know, you remember the era in the nineties where a first round pick would hold out and get these massive paychecks while the, the, the veterans weren't getting paid as much. And those guys hadn't done anything except they were prospects. I think right now we're in that era of college football where there's teams that are taking that nineties era NFL and they're throwing money at rookies. Well, the NFL, the Players Association eventually figured out, like, look, we got to collective bargain this so that ultimately there's slots that rookies make less, but the contracts are a little shorter. And if you actually do anything, then by the time you're a really good player, then you sign the big, big money contracts. Well, this is what I think Florida State's skating to where the, the puck actually is. This has been the smart approach. What they're what they've figured out is that retention is where the biggest value is. When you've got guys that are proven players that already have shown that they can play at the college level, then those guys are way more valuable than the projection from high school. And that's the thing. High school players are always more of a projection. Guys who've proven that they can play at the Power Five or even championship level those guys have way higher value. So, and if they're in your program already, that's where the biggest value is. So you think about the val the, the biggest value for Florida State this year, if you're thinking about player acquisition, isn't acquisition at all. It's retaining players like Jordan Travis, like, uh, say, Fabian Lovett or Jared Verse. If you can get those guys to come back, Jared Verse coming back would be better than any edge transfer you can get and certainly better than any edge prospect you're going to get in, in, in recruiting for next year. Huge value. So the next most value that you can get is a guy that's in the transfer portal that's proven that he can play at that level and then has a couple of years left. There's more value there, too, than in high school, because, again, there's less projection when you've got a guy that's already played at the college football level. There's actually more value in the portal right now than at the, at the high school level, and there's less competition in some ways for those players. Now, the very top end players, well, there's getting to be more competition there, and some of these programs are just now starting to figure this out. So <laughs> this is where a lot of things are going to be moving. The, the real money is going to be tampering and pushing towards elite transfers. That's where that market's going to get absurd before too long. That's where the, the most money is going to have to go in the future, not even towards high school players. It's going to be towards those players and getting, you know, your Drake may type player who's at North Carolina. North Carolina is not going to be a championship team. Somebody comes along and says, Hey, we'll give you 10 million. You know, you heard Narduzzi talk about how there are a couple programs that, that offered him, tried to tamper and offered him $5,000 or $5 million to come to their program. It's, it's going to be 10 million before long for those guys. 
because that is where the big value is. Huge value. High school players aren't worth that. The other reason that high school players aren't worth that, so number one is because high school players are a projection. You you have you have to project how how well a guy is going to is going to make the transition from low level and sometimes very poor competition to a completely different I mean it's almost a different sport at the college level. You have to project that. The other reason though that this is an issue is high school players they get one free transfer. So when you bring that guy in and you pay him to be on campus as a freshman if there's anything that doesn't quite go right, or if, if if things aren't as he wants them to be that first year, then he's gone. And then you wasted all those, all that, all those resources, all that effort on that guy. And now he's gone and he's never going to be back versus a player who transfers into your program. He's used his transfer already. He's in your program until he graduates or goes to the NFL. So if he leaves early because he went to the NFL, well, he got your value out of him. Because he played that well. And then if he stays until he graduates, you've got a program guy. So in a lot of ways, the younger transfers who, you know, have gone to say a lower level program, let's say you got a three star like a Deuce Span or a Trey Benson. Trey Benson's a great example of this. He goes to a program, doesn't quite fit, but shows like he's got that. And you find out like, yeah, that, that he's that dude from somebody that you trust and then you bring him in and yeah, he's a former three-star player, but he's already ready to go when he lands on campus, already acclimated to college. He's already that. And then when he gets there, he's going to be a program guy from day one because he's, he's got to invest in your program. He's not, he can't go anywhere else. So that's the other thing. So what this is now, and this is where coaches are, are having to sort of make this transition and how they handle this in terms of managing their roster, is it's all about balancing the amount of time and potential that a player has for you. So you bring in a new a, a guy from high school, and you're looking at five years potentially, and you're also looking at potential where you know there's more growth potential there. What you see is you know, setting your floor and then he's got this much growth potential that you're looking at that time and potential versus the proven commodity question. And for every player you're evaluating, you're evaluating where they fit in terms of how much time might I get out of this guy? What's the actual potential? What's the floor and how much of a proven commodity is this guy? And all of that's got to be graded on a sliding scale as you're trying to put your roster together. And honestly, the other downside of recruiting from the high school side is let's say you recruit a guy who ends up being a bit of a bust. He's, he just doesn't develop the way that you want. And you've got him on campus for four years. If you misevaluate a, a transfer who's there for two years, well, you know, two years hence, you go and you get another one. <laughs> you don't have, you, there's less dead weight as a result. So I think, honestly, reflecting through this and, and talking to different folks, I think the days of 25 man high school classes with a fit, you know, aiming for a 50% blue chip ratio and then filling out the back half of your class with, you know, three star projects and so on that, you know, you're not totally sure about, but you got to fill your numbers. 
that that being the, the model and the prerequisite for being a, a, a championship type program, I think those days are over, at least for now. And, you know, I keep hearing people say, well, the portal is a temporary Band-Aid. You have to build through high school recruiting. I mean, history shows you have to build through high school recruiting. Well, I mean, do we know this? I mean, the game has changed. Yeah, that's always been true. But there, but in the years that that was true, you didn't have the, the open transfer portal and you didn't have name, image, and likeness. It's a totally different world now. So is that as true as it used to be? I mean, there's, there's stir, certainly still some truth to that. You have to build your foundation through high school recruiting. You have to do that well enough to have a strong foundation in your program. But I, I just don't think that that is the entire lifeblood of a program anymore. Not the way that it used to be. Because the game has changed. And those who don't change with it and those who don't understand how it's changing, they're going to struggle the most. So... So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, again, look at Texas A&M this year. Would you rather sign the number one class of all time with 29 high school players and then have 20 of them left when you're going into year two? Or would you rather sign the number 10 class of 20 players of whom, let's say, 18 of them stick with you and bring in nine high-quality transfers that have already gone through the acclimation period and proven that they can compete at the level you need. Which is better, the number one class in that case, or the number 10-11 class? That's a really, you know, that's that's tough. To me, long-term, the answer has to be a mix. Speaking of a mix, I, I should go ahead and Thank my sponsors. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, the best in the business out there. And by ShenRealEstate.com in the Research Triangle of North Carolina. If you have any real estate needs those in those areas, those are the best in the business. And if you just need a, uh, a referral to someone good somewhere else, they'll hook you up. Uh, let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. And of course, Garage Makeover is the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. So thanks to all my sponsors very much for continued support over the course of the last year. Going to have some additional sponsors coming up uh, this next year, working through a lot of different changes. There's a lot of a lot of things going on in the back end right now. And, and uh, just happy to report that overall right now, the uh, podcast looks to be as healthy as it's been going into next year, where I'm going to be able to do a lot more, I think, uh, than I have. So thanks all as always to those sponsors. So to me, long-term, the answer has to be a mix. You want to bring in the best high school recruits you can land that you are confident will stick in your program and will develop and will be program guys. And you're bringing in a combination of high ceiling studs and high floor developmental players. That's what you're trying to get. And then you're, you're going to have to supplement that with your super impact, your instant impact transfers, and then the other transfers who set the floor of your program to know that, like, I know that this guy is going to be solid at this spot that I need solid for the next two years. So to me, your sweet spot is somewhere like 15 to 20 high school players and then five to 10 transfers. And you adjust the slider to a few more high school players when you've got your program on near autopilot, when you're when you're where you want to be as a program and you're competing for championships and all of that. And you've got 
fewer immediate uh, impact needs, then you slide over to a few more high school players there where you know where those guys know that they're when they they know coming in that they're likely going to sit a year or two and they're just going to be there as a part and develop in that championship culture. You know, University of Georgia, that's kind of where they're at. You adjust the slider to a few more high school players in that context. You know, 22 high school players, maybe take three transfers, whatever. But when you're anywhere else, when you're anywhere short of that, you start to adjust that slider over to a few more transfers. And to me, the the blue chip ratio question starts to get really interesting when you're accounting for those transfers. So what happens, for example, when the blue chip ratio is 35%? And again, to compete for championships, I think Bud has shown pretty well that 50% or more has kind of been the bar for through the, the, the traditional recruiting era. What happens though, when your blue chip ratio is 35 or 40%, but 15% of your roster is former three-star players who turned out to be way underrated. So say Jared verse, Trey Benson, Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, bless Harris, Winston, Wright. These are all guys that were three, two, three and two star players that when they came in out of the portal, they landed and were clear for, and you know, you look at verse, he's basically a five-star. Jamie Robinson's pretty close to a five-star. Trey Benson is, is basically a five-star, but that's not what they're rated because they came in from the transfer portal and it was after they had developed already to where they, their production level was already on that level. So how do you adjust for that? It starts to get really interesting when you're starting to try to account for the different ways that talent talent works now. And to me, this is where now I think culture roster management and just evaluation are more important within programs than ever. You have to evaluate really, really well so that you don't get stuck with dead weight. First of all, and that means evaluating also the mentality of players. Are they going to fit in your in your program? Are they going to fit what you want to do in terms of culture? Evaluation and then roster management so that you don't, again, you don't want to get stuck where you've got too many people outgoing at this one spot and you, you just, you're, you're stuck. You can't do that. So roster management, and that's something that, you know, I've gone on record. I think that's, that's the place where Jimbo Fisher has failed the most at Texas A&M is in roster management. They, they had nine underclassmen starters on offense there this year. You just never, that should never be when you've recruited as, as allegedly well as they've recruited in year five, you have to manage your roster well. And then you've got to have great culture to make sure that players are satisfied and, and they're bought into your program. And the crazy thing is, I think actually right now, transfers are more likely to be program guys than some of the high school, than some of the elite high school talent, at least. Because those elite high school talent guys, they can hit the portal and they can make money again. They're actually, if you're one of those elite guys, you make money the first time when you sign with that school. And then you can make, you can double up, you can make money the second time when you go on the market as a portal in the portal and potentially make more, you can double it up. 
So there's, uh, you know, pulls on you in ways that there aren't for guys that are transfers in because they don't have those opportunities anymore because they don't have the free transfer. So, you know, the guys that have transformed Florida State's culture, interestingly, have all been transfers or not all of them, but most of them. You know, Johnson, I mean, look at him. Travis, Jordan Travis, Benson, Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, Jared Verse. You know, these are guys that that uh, they brought in in the transfer portal and they became immediate program guys. So that's it's just a different world now than it has been. And you can see why I, I just was going to do an episode on this alone, because this has to be discussed before we can even talk about the actual talent that they're bringing in. Now, as far as that, I will end with a sort of a brief overview of my thoughts on the class. Uh, And then I will, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a second episode on the offensive side of the ball, what they're bringing in with some evaluations there. And I'm going to do fuller evaluations in the off season. I'm going to do evaluations actually of everybody in the roster and then defensive side for a, a third episode. In any case, for my overview here, I think this was an excellent class. An excellent class, especially given the headwinds that Norvell and the Florida State staff had to recruit into in this game or in this in this cycle. I I, I want to emphasize, do not underestimate how much of a headwind they were recruiting into this year. I don't think you should. I mean, think about just losing to an FCS program in a year where. You know, you're now you're you didn't get a chance with with COVID to 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 recruit as a new with the new coach smell. You didn't get that chance. Then you go in and you lose to an FCS program with an 0 and four start, and then you've you, you've got the number one player in the country who then just humiliates you in his uh in his announcement. And and you got to remember. All of these players are on social media. All of these these recruits are on social media. And, and Hunter is maybe the most influential. He has been the most influential and visible player on social media the last couple of years. And then he goes and does that to your program. So, I mean, Hunter and uh, Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders made Florida State into a punchline. That, and that went through the full offseason. So in the cycle, when you're trying to recruit all these players for the 2022 recruiting class or 2023 recruiting class, I'm sorry, for the 2023 recruiting class through the entire year of the offseason from January through July in that recruiting season, when you're when you're going after the players that are going to be making their decisions for the 2022 season. The last thing they remember is you didn't make a bowl and then Travis Hunter embarrassed you and you know, of course, the buzz is that Mike Norvell, as a result of those things, is a dead man walking. I mean, Willie Taggart got fired in his second year, and Mike's been even worse, you heard people saying. That wasn't ever true. But you had national folks like Mike Farrell going on the record during the summer talking about how Norvell wouldn't even survive the season. And then he's going to walk into guy in, into the living room of these families or go to their schools, living room visits are usually later, but he's going to talk to these families and these players and say, come to Florida State, we're, we're really building something here. It's That's a really hard pitch to make. 
and no matter what more vul- more knowledgeable voices said to the said on this you know that look norvell is not going anywhere he's got the support of the most important people in the decision making process and they know that this is turning around in tallahassee you could say that i said that i know others said that with a much louder vo- uh, voice and megaphone than i have but there is no killing that buzz because that was there and then of course you had you know Deion Sanders as well, you know, making sure that that his name was floated out there as he's the he's going to be the next coach at Florida State when Mike Norvell gets fired. And, you know, he's got contacts all through the media from working in the media. And of course, that's going to be the the thing. So all of this stuff is in the air for the first seven months of of this recruiting cycle coming into the 2022 football season. And that's why the 4-0 start and the win over LSU, over an LSU team that turned out pretty good, those things were so important because then you're starting to show proof of concept and saying, no, we are building something here. I was not just blowing smoke here. And then you finish the season the way that you do, and that gives you huge momentum going into the next recruiting cycle. See, the 2023 cycle is completely different. That will be the first time that Norvell and and his staff have recruited without having to sail into significant headwinds. This this next class, the 2023 class, is the first class since Norvell and his staff have arrived at Florida State where they're not basically rowing into headwinds because they can't even use the sail. So that said... All the momentum that they created in the 2022 season was just too late to impact a lot of the biggest fish from this class that they wanted. Now, it did land them. It, it's, it was the difference for Hakeem Williams, for Lucas Simmons, Brock uh, Glenn, Blake Nicholson, Keith Sampson, Conrad Hussey. These are all top shelf players that they almost certainly do not, rec- do not land if they don't have the season that they had. Hakeem Williams was a guy that was on the fence early in the year. He wanted to go to Florida State. It was a dream school for him. But he had Texas A&M, Miami, Georgia, you know, all of these different schools in his ear about, look, look, I mean, you really want to go to Florida State where Mike Norvell, I mean, Norvell ain't ain't even going to be there, man. You know, they they don't throw the ball. They're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to get you the ball. You know, that's not the place you want to be. And then Florida State comes out and does what they did. And Hakeem goes, yeah, I believe in what they're doing. I, that's where I want to go. So, yeah, it, it was enough to swing some of those guys. But the thing is, signing a Hakeem Williams this year has the opposite effect of what the Travis Hunter thing did last year. Now, some of those five-star type players in next class are looking at Florida State going, they're on the rise. I want to be a part of that. And of course, it gave Florida State even more momentum on the transfer market where they were already they already had a lot of respect on the transfer market but all the more now because these transfers are looking at what Florida State has done with their transfers and essentially almost 50% of the transfers that Florida State has brought in under Mike Norvell have wound up on an all ACC team that's crazy so that's a really good pitch when Mike Norvell walks into your or when Mike Norvell calls you on the phone and says, yeah, you're one of the guys I want. I think we can have you all conference and go to the NFL. Pretty attractive. 
And now they can afford to be choosy. I mean, there are multiple guys they've passed on this cycle that they would have taken each of the last two years. So, you know, Grimes from North Carolina, for example, former five-star corner, they evaluated him. And yeah, just probably not the guy for us. That, that says something. The, and, and then I'm looking at the roster right now. And after National Signing Day, I went, you know, as I'm going through and I'm categorizing, putting guys on the, on the depth chart and doing different things. The thing is, the roster has been completely flipped. You'll remember in 2021, me saying that there were about 20 players. I said 18 to 22 players, if I remember right. Somewhere 18 to 22 players on the roster who were basically dead weight. My, my thing was, if these players left, if they disappeared off the roster, you wouldn't notice. It wouldn't hurt. So I just went back through the roster. That number is closer to three or four now. That's a, that is a crazy improvement on the roster. Now, do they have the talent level that they want to have? No, they're, they're still... There's still players at different spots on the depth chart that they'd like to have a better player there and a better backup there. Sure. There are some guys on this roster that I think are Jags, just a guy, right? They're, you know, this is not traditional Florida state level talent. Or it's, ah, well, you know, he's, he's okay. He's a, he's a decent player, but there aren't many of them or not as many of them, certainly. And the, the, the Jags that they have are guys that are actually contributing. These are not just wasted spots. These are guys that are, that are valuable contributors as you know, backups who actually provide real value as uh, special teams guys that are actually really good on special teams and, and play hard on special teams. There are not a bunch. There's not a bunch of dead weight on this roster. Again, there, there are places where you're like, yeah, you know, it could be better at that position. Sure. This is not a, you know, completely, this is not the 2013 roster, but it's a roster that you're looking at. And you're like, good player, really good player, good player, good player, very good player, game changer, difference maker, elite, good player. You just go down the list and you start doing that. Instead of good player, eh, average, okay, below average. You know, that was where, where things were. They're in a different spot now. I mean, you start to look at the the, the problem that they're going to have going into 2023, uh, 2023 is in the 2023 football season, they're going to have a lot of mouths to feed in terms of, you know, getting guy keeping guys happy. I mean, just look at the at the wide receiver room. You got Johnny Wilson, Malik McLean, Micah Pittman, Winston Wright, Darian Williamson, Deuce Span, Kentron Portier. Ja'Kai Douglas. Um, I mean, you got a lot of... Oh, and then you got tight end Jaheim Bell and Kyle Morlock and Marquiston Douglas and, and all of that. You got a lot of balls. You know, how many, how many balls are those guys going to catch? Oh, and by the way, you're adding Hakeem Williams, who's by far the most talented player on your uh, at, at the wide receiver position now. 
You're going to have to, you know, find ways of making sure that the ball is spread well to keep all those guys happy. But that's where culture is really, really important. But that's a totally different thing from going into 2021 where I was saying, like, look, they, who do they have that's going to change the game for you? Who's a game changer? Who's a number? They don't have a number one wide receiver. Now? Johnny Wilson is one. Hakeem Williams is going to become one. Darian Williamson and Deuce Span have the potential to be that. Malik McLean is a really good two. Kentron Portier is pretty good. Micah Pittman and Winston Wright are both guys that can make a difference in the slot. So, I mean, there's actual talent there. And you go down the list and they've managed to flip this roster. And they've done it by combining, by, by liberal use of very good evaluations in the transfer portal and then by careful high school recruiting and evaluation. And one of the things that I do like about this class, and we'll talk about this more in the next couple episodes, is I don't think that they reached for a bunch of kids. They went after guys that all of them have a high enough floor and a high enough ceiling that they look like they belong at Florida State, at least to my eye at this point. And I'll work through, I'm going to go through uh, what my evaluations are for each of them. Some guys I definitely like more than others, but again, I think this is a this is a solid class where they're not bringing in guys that I would expect to become dead weight down the line. And that's the most important thing at this point. You just cannot bring in dead weight in the transfer portal and NIL era. You can't do that and put yourself in a position where you're not going to be able to bring in more talented guys once you're actually rolling. And I think this, this class sets them up. Well, a few more things, a few more pieces to add through the transfer portal, but they're, they're going to be in great shape going into 2023 and beyond. Uh, you have to give them a lot of credit for how they flipped the roster and for where this program is going. We'll go ahead and wrap there. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.